taxes make us look good get rid of all of this and I'm gonna just I'm just gonna feed us across into storage Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from three fantastic countries in Europe. I'm joined here today by Alessio. Hello. And Audrey. Hi everyone. And as always, I still remain your host, Fen. Hi. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about four games and a topic that I personally have been wrestling with as I try and sort out my gaming attic miniature storage but before we get into all of the topics uh, it's time for the the good old classic last d catch up and uh, how are things been with you alessio oh i met with my gaming group finally after two years of covid so pretty great actually we played a lot we played a lot of game in my shelf of shame which uh, is now reduced to uh, all-time low of 13 games which is kind of good because some games are actually quite new, so I have to test them, right? So I I have been busy the right way, of course. These are hard times indeed, so uh, every, every solace is very welcome. And what about you, Audrey? to say not much but actually a fair amount of stuff has happened in the last uh, times with my husband we went on our uh, honeymoon a bit late after the wedding but we don't care so we went to Europa Park and uh, we visited the Philibert boutique in Strasbourg France uh, which is very small compared to the, 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 the let's say the immensity of the website but we managed to snag a copy of Spirit Island from the shelves Ooh. And we had uh, we had a few plays on uh, on the floor of the hotel room. Uh, so yeah, we we, we did the, the level zero um, difficulty uh, game. We tried one of the uh, invaders, and we didn't find the game that hard. But because we were at low difficulty, a bit complex, yeah, but. Uh, I didn't feel that it was as hard as. Uh, sounded like from the uh, let's say uh, public and stuff but i'm pretty sure we will have a topic on that at some point and i will get to share uh, more on that then you can make it as hard as you want yeah it's yeah. very slideable on the difficulty which is great yeah yeah that, that's how it seemed and the let's say bottom zero uh difficulty level is really let's say uh, not affordable but yeah do- doable and yeah the, the basic spirits are easy to introduce beginners. Uh, great experience overall. Um, and another thing, uh, which is that last week I received my expansions uh, and stretch goals for the Tinted Grey Kickstarter in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was excited because I had two boxes so because someone had piggybacked on me. So I opened their box and everything was fine. They had a core box and some uh, sleeves, which I didn't want and then I opened the second box and then I saw La Morta Roja so, huh? <laughs> la, la Muerte Roja yeah I was expecting La Mort Rouge but no oh, oh. and so everything is being sorted out by Awaken Realms they're being 
pretty fast on that I have to uh, recognize. I sent them the mail uh, on Thursday and on the next Monday I got a new tracking number. In fact, if you go to BGG Geek Market right now and you want to buy the Horned Rat expansion for cows in the old, in the old world, the, most, the, the cheapest version you can get is the Spanish one, La Rata Cornuda. <laughs> Uh, it depends on countries and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh, that's it for me so a uh, very good news and uh, let's say a uh, embarrassing or a uh, space taking news <laughs> and what about you fan what have you been up to lately well it's it's springtime so that means a lot of yard work and other things but on top of that uh, i've been sorting out the gaming attic which is i would say from certain angles, it looks finished, um, and then from other angles, it looks like a dump site because I've got to get the working <laughs> section of it sorted, and I've got all I've run out of a budget to get more storage to get everything Lovely. properly fixed, which is like it's such a big expense storage for board games, especially yeah. when you don't have the height to put a calyx in. Which mm, I don't you shared the pretty pictures aside, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to share some more pretty pictures, but not with our listeners, because what I've actually been spending time, and even the two hours before we started recording this, I was doing more work on it, is I've been getting our guest house ready, because uh, we're finally, after COVID time, getting our first guests from the UK in nearly three years. Like, I've not had a single visitor from the UK to the island, the last people who visited me were my parents who visited me when we were living still in Stockholm. So this is the first. So I've been sorting out uh, our um, guest house. And here we go. This is the guest house in full. It's a single oh. floor. Uh, it's, it's like it's one floor, but our house is basically one floor and an attic as well, Swedish style. Um, we've. I was just fixing the roller blinds a couple of days ago because they were installed not quite right so I had to reset them but that was pretty simple and the one room we've basically finished you can see one of the paintings I was starting to hang is a hedgehog um, is is the living room with a as you can see you got like you can open the doors and sit out on the decking outside and have your breakfast in the sun okay that's so lov lovely this is picture aid for listeners. When Fen says guest house, it means literally a house. Yeah, it's it's got two bedrooms, um, which one's going to be a double bedroom. The other is like two singles. Uh, so, you know, families and everything. And then a living room and a, a, a thin, narrow kitchen. But it has all the fridge, freezer, everything you'd expect. A, a small cabin. Yeah. Yes, a small cabin. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, this prompts a very important question. When can we come? Well, I've got to get it ready and everything. And then it's a matter of working out because we're going to be renting it to people in the summer because uh, this island in the summer doubles in population, as I've mentioned before. So places to rent are very valuable and at a premium. But I personally think it's nicer to come to this island in spring when all the poppies bloom and the flowers are just starting to bloom now uh, or in autumn where the leaves start turning. And the weather is more, for me at least, it's more like Britain w without the rain because Britain's just rains. I don't oh, miss okay. that. Oh, okay, yeah. let, me, let me put it this way. It's 24 degrees out, uh, out here right now. 
what is the temperature there now? Oh, that's a good question. I shall just... Uh, it is a cloudy 11 degrees with no wind. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe next month. Yeah. Well, the thing <laughs> is, it is that bizarrely, this is actually a week where it's going to rain, which is unusual. <laughs> uh, but um, I think May is like a really good time. My friends are coming at the start of June, so they're going to catch the very start of the summer. But that's going to feel like a British summer to them, because I don't know if you've ever seen it, but in Britain it's like, oh, it's 11 degrees outside, time for shorts and flip-flops, and out they go, is what what the country's (laughs) like. Like a little bit of sun, and if it's above 10 degrees, oh boy, it's time to hit the beach. So, (laughs) yeah, I've been doing, like, electrics, and I've been, um, like, sorting out bits and pieces and hanging pictures um, and the dog's been really helpful because she, for some reason, loves DIY. So <laughs> on the board game front, beyond the ones that I'm talking about, my uh, Nemesis Kickstarter arrived recently. I'm now in a slightly different situation to Audrey in that I have a s- double sets of certain things because it was just less hassle and cheaper for me to pick up. Uh, I ended up opening up the core box because it turns out they updated the miniatures for the characters in the core box. And I was like, I I don't like the little original ones. They're not great to paint. So I'm going to, I guess I'll live with opening two boxes and work out what to do with that spare copy of Nemesis I half painted. Uh, But I also have Cardamorphs and Void Seeders, which I'm probably going to put on the Board Game Geek Marketplace. Tricky thing here is uh, shipping off the island it to across Europe it, it's never cheap. I don't have access to mm. the cheapest delivery sources, so I don't know what's gonna happen with them. Um but I will say just very quickly, if you like Nemesis, Cardamorphs is great if you like playing it co-op, and Void Seeders is just good solo, good co-op, good semi-co-op. So yeah. that's a brief review of those two expansions. Cardamorphs is really rough if you play semi-co-op. Because it's so combat heavy that the poor soldier and anyone else who's like the scout, anyone who's got combat capability, spends all their time holding the line and they can't actually get anything done for winning, which is why it works better in co-op. But yeah, that's... Yeah, that, that one time we played Carnomorphs on semi-co-op, everyone died. Yeah, yeah, it is <laughs> really rough. If if you've got like the scientist and the um, engineer who are terrible in combat, uh, <laughs> then... Then you're like, we need help. And they're like, no, 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 i got to get on with my special objective. Sorry. Got to fix the engines. Yeah, so. Hmm. Okay. But uh, the other part is my little first segment, which is I'm going to talk, hopefully, as quickly as possible about two games. One, because it's a simple game. And the second one, because I can't talk about it for very long without getting into spoilers. So, yeah, the first one is Tussie Mussy, designed by Elizabeth Hargrave, Wingspan, and printed by Buttonshy. So if you don't know the Buttonshy shtick, they do games that in a little plastic wallet that you can keep in your pocket, simple little card games, usually 18 cards. Uh, Tussie Mussy is a tradition, a Victorian tradition, of making a bouquet of flowers. So effectively, bouquet of flowers. And... Very straightforward game for two to four players. You'll shuffle up a little deck of cards, and then on your turn you draw two of them, you look at them, and then you offer them to the player to your left. There goes the dog. Hi, Pam! Pamsha! 
I don't know. I've been teaching her to speak lately, and she's become so much more vocal. I'm just going to carry on and not worry about it. She's probably seen somebody walking past the house. Uh, yeah, so you look at the two cards, and you offer them to the player to your left. But you offer them one face up and one face down. And they have to decide if they want the face up card or the face down card. If they take the face up, it goes into their bouquet. If they take the face down, it goes into what's called their keepsake. And they don't turn it up. They get to look at it now. But that's it. And then it's... Mm, go on. No, I, I love that draft. It's the same as a, a, It's a Wonderful Kingdom, I guess. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's great. It's a good, it's a good draft mechanic. It keeps... Like, it's great for two players. It's better with even with more because it's so simple that you can kind of have a conversation around while still doing this because you're just making simple decisions. But they can really get quite hard. Uh, so then it's their turn and they do the same and you just go round and round until everybody's drafted four cards. And then you will separate the two rows, the face down and the face up, turn all your cards up and score them. And the cards may have hearts on them that are worth points or they might say for each red flower, including this one, score a point or for uh, if it's each different colour, score points and you record your score, you discard everything you go to the next round and you pass to the right same thing and then you do it a third time to the left highest score over the three rounds wins really easy to get into and actually has nice fun tricky decisions um i got the kickstarter edition so i got all the expansions because they weren't very expensive i'll give a very brief review of those uh, the orange expansion gives you orange flowers just more cards it's fine the green expansion gives you greenery Greenery is really cool. There's four cards. You want one greenery, it's worth two points. But if you get more than one greenery, each one's worth minus one point. So there's this really fun moment where somebody like, when somebody's got a piece of greenery face up and you know they've got greenery, every single face down card they take is like a landmine for them. They're like, I don't really want this face up card. It's not great, but is the face down card a piece of greenery? And... It's just immense fun to, to go through all of that. And then there's, of course, you start joining the Greenery Club when you get your own piece, and then you have to go through the whole thing. So I really like the Greenery expansion. I think it's great. That's that's smart. It is. It is. It's fun to be like, oh, yes, I've got one. And then, oh, no, I got one early. Oh, God. <laughs> then there's the Ribbons expansion, which each round you flip up a number of ribbons, and they basically give extra points to certain conditions, like... Uh, the green ribbon is each player scores plus two points for each of their greenery cards. So just change the greeneries again. Um, I like the greeneries. Or the other ones are like players with the most hearts scores three points or the fewest hearts and so on. So it mixes things up even further. I don't think it's as important, but it does a lot to increase the longevity of the game. There's a solo nice. expansion. It's good. It's got an expansion itself, which makes it even better. I'm not going to the details of the solo expansion. I'm just going to say I've played it solo a lot. It's always challenging and it's very easy to operate, which is nice to have a solo game that's just boom, 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 job done. So that's Tussie Mussie. Um, my only downside on Buttonshy games is they don't have an EU distributor. I had to pay customs on this, which I wasn't expecting because previously they had a distributor that got stuff into the EU with no problem. They've got a UK distributor now, but that doesn't fix the problem. So they are aware of this. They are trying to solve it. They're looking for a solution. I passed on their latest Kickstarter because they didn't have an EU distrib distributor. Because I nearly paid as much in customs as I did for the game. 
which was like not fun. But, but mechanically, bit two thumbs up, and I think that Button Shy are a, a great company. Um, although maybe they need to stop making plastic wallets. I'm not sure what you'd make them out of, but you know, plastic. Okay, second one. Adventures of Robin Hood from Cosmos Games. Uh, this has yeah. been in German for a while. Um, it is a two to four player adventure game. Stealth adventure game. You can play it solo as long as you're fine controlling more than one character at the same time. Uh, I will say, first of all, really well translated from German. Like this nice story, very good, clear rules. Um, and uh, basically, you have a really, there's three really interesting mechanics that make this stand out from other storybook games. The first one is you have a double layered board. So when you put the board out, it shows Nottingham, uh, Nottingham Castle, Nottingham Village, and Sherwood. And it has a bunch of like punched out areas that you can pull the cardboard out and flip it over. And it has something printed on the back and it has something printed on the bottom. So you always have, over every story you play in the campaign, the same like main map. It's the same place. It feels like going back to Sherwood. But things change. And they've done some really neat stuff with this. Like they can represent coaches moving across uh, or places having guards or not having guards, changes in development along the story. And even like if you've made certain decisions, they can change things up, which is it's really cool. Downside, one downside and then go ahead. Uh, I keep wrecking the tokens whenever I try and take them out. I ended up having to get a like a butter knife to lever them out in order to stop damaging them because they're so secure. Yeah, actually, that's uh, the mechanic is pretty cool. Uh, someone called it Advent Calendar, the board game, because yep. it feels like that. It's pretty cool, and uh, I have to say, stuff persists. Some stuff persists through scenarios, and that's pretty, pretty incredibly cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Advent Calendar, the game, is a great way to pitch it to people or yeah. sneak sneaking around on an Advent Calendar, which brings me to the second mechanic. And that's moving. Yeah. The move, I love the moving. I really want to see this in other games. Each player, Robin Hood, Maid Marian, Little John and Will Scarlet, um, gets five figures. Two of them represent your character standing. Two of them represent your character walking and have like a little trail behind them, like physical trail. And one of them represents the character running. And when it's your turn to do stuff, you uh, take these trails... The long ones um, with, a, with a little bit of wood out the back. It's very hard to explain without visually showing them, but they're very distinctive. And you build a little like line connecting each one and then put your other standing figure at the end to represent your final spot as long as everyone touches and then you remove all the previous stuff. So it allows you to like move in discrete amounts and you're trying to move from pieces of shade to shade because if you're caught in... The, a clearing when a guard activates which you never know quite where it's when going to happen then you could get captured and that sucks so it's got that whole feeling of dashing from one place to another and you're also if you don't use your longest piece the running piece you're rewarded by being allowed to put a white cube into the bag and that's the last mechanic i think is really cool is you have one bag it holds discs colored discs and you reach in and draw a disc out 
Uh, and that tells you whether it's a given player's turn or if it's, hey, choose who's going to have a turn. Or if it's uh, the bad guys get to have a go, the forces of Nottingham. So semi-randomizes it, but once something's drawn out, it stays out until everything's been drawn. So you, you get an idea of who's left to act and do we have the flexible action? Uh, are the guards going to have a go or can I risk standing in the middle of this clearing right now? Which adds to the stealth mechanic really well. You also use the bag to draw out cubes for any of you do a check. And that's where you get, like, if you don't use the long piece, you get to put white cubes into the bag, which represents you saving your strength, and you can easily pass a check, or more easily pass a check. Like, say, if you get caught, you're going to need to punch up the guards. I'm making punching actions right now, I don't know why. Um, and, uh, and so you can move more conservatively to help pass things if they go wrong, or if you think there's stuff you're going to have to do in the future. Beyond that, I can't really talk too much about where the game goes because it just spoils a, a nicely written story and a fun experience. There's a whole load of other bits and pieces. Guy of Gisborne gets his own little figures um, and, and, uh, and, and more other things occur. Uh, I will say the first chapter is an introductory story. It's kind of very much on rails and there was a moment where like we couldn't figure out what we were supposed to be doing because the game story didn't tell us properly. Um, and it, it, so it resulted in a lot of wasted time. We did succeed. In the end, we figured it out and it, it did take a little bit of a logical leap. It would be nice if the game had explained, hey, you can do this kind of stuff. Pay attention to things because you never know what's going to be useful or what's not. Um, but once I got past that, it was sweet. Yeah, uh, something to add to that, uh, in a non-spoilery way, I, I, I think we can safely say that this game is a blasting for people, so always try to fill your player count, because it's uh, seven scenarios, and when you're done, you're done. Uh, try to play it with full people, because it's fun, it's a lot of fun. It requires coordination, there are stuff which you can do in a team, it's, uh, it's very, very cool. It is, it, it is. Yeah, you're definitely right, it's a one and, one and done or one and put it on the shelf for several years before going back to it. Uh, I'll also add, I think it's better with a more casual crowd. It's a nice little game to introduce people to the idea of storybook games and campaign games without overwhelming them because the mechanics are really simple to get to grips with and you can handle a lot of the stuff and they can just get to grips with this is how I move, this is how I draw from the bag and this is what we're trying to do. So. Yeah, also uh, I, I have to say that it reminds a, a bit pandemic because you are on a timer most of the time mm -hmm. and, uh, and there is... a. a kind of an intensification phase at, uh, when the enemy acts. So uh, it reminds of Pandemic, but it differs from Pandemic core mechanic in a very cool way. It actually uh, never happened with the Pandemic spin-off. So uh, even for people who just uh, like logical puzzles, uh, this is worth it because it's simple, it's clear, and it's... Oh, well, clear uh, movement is not the clear, actually, but uh, it's a 
fun game it's uh, fun to play and it's simple to play so that that's great yeah yeah i would recommend this for anyone who's looking for a board game to play with young teen children uh, or those like advanced children who are around like 10 ish um and people who are just they, they love robin hood i mean it is the only english folklore that's really <laughs> endured it's a good story um Oh, yeah, this is a really good telling of it. <laughs> yeah. The Painted Man. Because, I mean, if, if you translated Robin Hood in French, Robin, Robin à la capuche. Uh, yeah, Robin des Bois is much better. <laughs> Shorter. Robin especially. of Huxley. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's it. So now we're going to get on to our first topic, which is, is um, I believe it's all... Uh, I've lost track. Whose is it? Dice Realms. Yes, it's yours. I thought so. Uh, so that brings us on to our first topic, which uh, Robin Hood doesn't have any, but many games do. A whole bunch of miniatures. And Audrey, let's talk about miniature storage. Yes, because uh, when we start when we start to get into the miniature hobby, we start to have miniatures. We have sometimes games with inserts. We have sometimes wargaming, which don't have inserts. We don't even have boxes sometimes. So how do we store all of the miniatures, especially when they are painted? Because paint can still scrape away with depending on how the uh, miniatures are stored. So that's a whole thing to think out. And there are generally three different teams of people there is the full foam team people that like having foam storage for their miniatures there is the magnetic storage team and there is the rest team which generally either uses uh inserts when they exist Uh, for instance many if not most uh cool mini or not games with miniatures have uh inserts in the box and so these people keep using them or look out for other storage sometimes homemade uh sometimes uh there are boxes like the crystal fortress uh storage and every single of these storages have a drawbacks and um ah what's the word advantages Pros and cons. Pros and cons, yeah. Uh, I am personally not very much of of a magnetic storage, for instance, because I have troubles locking my magnets into place under the basis of my miniatures. Uh, Audrey, (laughs) I have to tell you uh, that I I, I use a variant of the magnetic storage, which is brutal. I I just put double-sided tape to the end of a shoebox and then I just put the basis there. <gasps> yeah, heresy. <laughs> heresy. <laughs> yeah. I have too many miniatures. How, how about we let Audrey talk a bit more about the right ways to do it before you spill all about the wrong way that you do it? <laughs> but wrong is fun. There, there is technically no right way to do it because it depends on which minis you have and which storage is available. Because, for instance, here I already talked about uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol, but it's a game where... There are various sizes of miniatures, and so it's very hard to, let's say, buy a foam case with um, all the same uh, inserts for miniatures and expect to fit 
everything. Because even in the biggest miniatures, uh, the Hulkbuster, uh, the Hulk, uh, Dormammu, they have different shapes and they won't, there, there won't be an insert that fits all. So for this, I personally said, oh, I'm going to go for magnetic base, for my, my, I'm going to glue magnets under their bases. And what did I do to glue the magnets? I picked super glue. And if you pick very strong magnets, you take the miniature and you have the miniature, but the magnets are still inside the box. So when you decide to go the magnetic way, there are, you have to think about how to do it. You can't just magnetize anything. Some miniatures have slots uh, for the magnets under the bases, but sometimes you have miniatures with full uh, bases, like if you buy, for instance, Micro Art Studio resin bases, they are full, there is not, uh, you don't have a slot uh, to put the magnet in, so that's something you have to take care of. I know that some people drill um, the holes and use epoxy glue, which is a bit more stronger than the super glue, but uh, when you have uh, a base which is basically hollow on the bottom, you just sometimes can't uh, drone it with uh, epoxy and put the magnets there. So the magnetic storage will generally widely depend on the bases that you have and the ways that you have to glue magnets under the bases of your miniatures. For everything that is the foam storage, generally, uh, you have uh, quite a few companies, like the, there are mostly Feldherr in Europe, uh, and there is another one which I can't remember the name in USA, but because it's in USA, uh, who have, um, I think it's Battle Foam. And they have foam. Battle Foam, yes. Yeah, and they yeah. have foam inserts which are pre cut with the miniature shapes. So that's what I use uh, for the for my Kingdom Death game. I have the the Feldherr storage, which has slots for the biggest miniatures like the Phoenix, the Sunstalker, the Dragon King, and for the other miniatures which I could fit in, like the pinups, like the armor kits. It's a standard storage with enough variety of shapes that I can fit the things in. So when you have a full game and you want to store all that full game together in one single box and say, oh, I'm going to pick that box and I go and I take the core box with me, yeah, that's, that's something that is very fine. Just sometimes some types of foams and some types of varnish do react uh, with time and it can be a bit off as you end up with a bit of residue in the miniatures. One of the big culprits of that was the... Um, I, it happened to me, but that was a few years ago. And it was with the Games Workshop spray uh, varnish. Not the Minitorium, which is, which is a bit more recent than when that happened, but the previous one. And that was a bit annoying. So you have to take care of that and be sure that there is no reactivity there. And yeah, it can happen. But I'm very happy of these cases, which I have for the Kingdom of Star, because I, they moved from Italy to my parents, then to my parents to me, and then I moved apartments in the same city, and they moved... And, Everything was well, uh, let's say, well kept and nothing broke. And I personally enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I'm happy for this. But for the Marvel Crisis Protocol, I took it for the core box because it fits in the core box. There are every single slot uh, available. But for every expansion that I got, as the expansions are like two minis at a time, there is no fits it all case. Then what I did is... I went to um, a few other companies, there are like uh, KR Multicase or Tabletop Tyrant in Europe that do it. It's you can make your own case. 
And that's something that I really like because you can really take the the tray. So in some of these websites, you can decide which box you want, and then you can fill it virtually with the trays that you want. So you can pick and match different sizes with different cuts. That's that way you can fit in one single box, let's say 10 different trays, which have maybe 20 different sizes of holes per cut. And that way, when you have games with very different uh, miniature sizes and volumes and shapes, you can end up being able to fill it and really be versatile with what you have. And I really enjoy this because that's, that's the most yeah, versatile thing that, that you can get. And especially having the website uh, configured in a way that you can select the trays and you will see a box being filled and say, oh, you can still fit these inside, but these can't fit. Uh, I think that's something that's really great because that way you really have the control over what you're taking and you know what fits in what you buy. And I personally love that for games where you have different shapes and sizes. But then that might mean you have the box and you will have one tray that might stay not very filled for a long while. I don't personally think it's a problem. And that way, if I, if I already have the box, whenever I get a new miniature, I can uh, pick it, I can assemble it or semi-assemble depending on the mini and then put it in the storage and it takes no room in, on my shelves because the room, the space is taken by the storage box. It can seem stupid, but uh, personally, I like it. <laughs> and then, yeah, there are other options, like I mentioned, for instance, storing the mini in the trays when games uh, come with trays, for instance, with the cool mini or not. Depending on how the trays are done, you might have uh, some issues because often the trays have some... Um, thinner points or some spaces where it's folded on itself just to keep the miniatures in place and these might cause uh, some damage on the painting and I personally do not really enjoy this but if you are going for a very quick job and you use uh, paints that are very resistant as we know that some brands of paints are more resistant than other depending on uh, the layer the thickness of the varnish that is put on you can get away with that well i'm glad you mentioned simon because that was one of the things i was going to talk about um their design of their vacuum form trays is always the assumption of hey you're going to keep all of our boxes and then they don't really make most of the boxes the same size and i'm like I don't really want to keep all of your boxes because I would rather condense your game down. Um, the one that really stuck with me was Rising Sun, which is a, a little bit of bugbear for other reasons. But I picked up the Laser Rocks insert and I'm uh, it's worth a look at, listeners. Uh, I've shown some photos on our Discord for the, the guys to see. But uh, these are um, wooden frames designed to hold all of the pieces and they have acrylic tension-based locks so you slide the base in and it will lock it in place through just natural friction and tension and the only wear and tear on the miniature paint jobs is around the base rim uh, and I really like that. Um, I, I bought the Rising Sun double set and condensed all the Rising Sun down to two boxes which made me really very happy. Yeah. Um, they, yeah they also do some nice work on them um, so 
I, again, like I, I find laser rocks do some very good stuff. I've got a bunch of felt her inserts uh, for, for my Kingdom Death stuff as well. Um, they're pretty great. But I wanted to shout out um, two other things which I've had for quite a while, brands that have been really good. Uh, the first one, I don't know if you can get it anymore, um, is the Crystal Cast Battle Hive. I bought one of these years ago for my Necromunda. And it has just lasted and lasted it and it's protected everything. None of the paint jobs have ever been ruined. Uh, it's all just stuck together nicely. It's just a classic, like, briefcase square thing that you flip open. It's got a bunch of trays in it. Um, it's been really good. But the one I, I absolutely adore uh, is from a company called KR Figure Cases. They're UK-based, which is a shame because, of course... That means they're not in the EU anymore, but for any UK listeners, I would really recommend these if you've got like um, skirmish-based games or army miniatures games or things like that. They do this line of uh, standardised blue foam trays. They do pluck foam as well if you want to put varied things in. And they mostly focus around uh, army miniatures, army, you know, big piles of stuff. And they do these great cardboard briefcases where the handle locks the lid in. Um, I got a load of these for my Blood Bowl and my Warhammer Quest miniatures and my Mordheim miniatures and they shipped over uh, like just perfect. Every single one came through, they did really well, the boxes weren't even like dinged or dented up or anything and I was really happy, everything just came over like perfectly safe. They're not the prettiest things. But, heck, they're made of cardboard, and I appreciate that at least the container is um, recyclable in the future, even if the foam trays possibly aren't. They also do, like, a line of hard cases, and the same inserts go inside them. So, it's quite, quite good. And they fit on shelves really well. They just stack up nicely. I write what's inside them on the front, and uh, I know where all the miniatures are for those games that use crazy numbers of miniatures. So, yeah, I, I like the, that brand, but uh, they have, I, they, they have like a, an option for EU shipping, but I don't know if it has um, uh, customs on it or not, which is why I would typically go with Feldher instead, because I know I'm not going to have to worry about customs there. So, yeah, that's, that's my part of it. Um, the biggest problem I have is I've got a big stack of them and I've got nothing to put them in, and they are... I mean, let's face it, miniature cases are kind of ugly. They're, they're functional, but not, like, aesthetically pleasing, really. So yeah. I'm trying to find some cupboards to hide them inside. Yeah, so show them in a cupboard. Yeah. 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 Exactly, exactly. Yeah, just that. <laughs> um, uh, I cannot really contribute to that, uh, to this discussion, except... The for my own artisanal ways and methods. One is taping the stuff to a shoebox. Of course, this doesn't work if you have any kind of precious basis. So if you uh, kind of base, uh, even the sides of the base, you cannot tape your miniature. That would be a crime. <laughs> and uh, the, the other thing that works a lot artisanally is uh, Actually, CPU cases or electronics cases, which are usually padded with the foam on both sides yeah. and uh, internally, yeah. So you can reuse them properly to store miniatures. For instance, Ooh. all, 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 my all blood... camera cases. 
That's a that's yeah. an old school one. That is that's going back from before like miniature cases were a common thing. Yeah, all my Blood Bowl teams are on CPU cases. <laughs> so that, that's basically it. <laughs> that's my contribution to the miniature storage. And of course, uh, never store resins in tight foam because that's just retrieving them broken in a thousand pieces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still haven't itemized all of my resin stuff that got shipped over here. I expect quite a lot of breakages, and I'm kind of in the posi position now that I don't really care if they're broken and I can't repair them. I'm just going to toss <laughs> them. I mean, yeah. 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 Just a last note for me on the Simon uh, storage. Um, they also have problems because sometimes the shape isn't really right or the miniatures are so snug against each other that uh, sometimes parts uh, fold or get bent. Like I had these with the Rising Sun uh, spares from the Dragonfly clan. And uh, yeah, when parts of miniatures get uh, bent by the storage, that's when you uh, increase the risk of paint flaking and that's one reason why I would be even more cautious of these uh, plastic uh, inserts. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of them are good. Uh, I mean, like here I have uh, quite a few of the Marvel um, chibi from Simon and the inserts aren't as packed as minis as Rising Sun was. So I think that these should be good enough to keep the miniatures in and not damage the paint. But Eh, still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick, um, quick like thing of games I think that have done it really well or haven't done it so well that's on my shelf right now. Obviously, all of the Warhammer Quest games are terrible for it. There's just nothing. You need to get some kind of inserts. Um, Darklight Memento Mori is really good. Like I, I'm really happy with the vacuum inserts they provided. I'm um, always using them. Uh, Tales from the Loop, the board game, has a very good insert that even has spaces ready for the two expansions. So that was really cool. Uh, sword and Sorcery, I'm not even going to paint that stuff because the only way I've managed to store everything is in a pile. So there's no point. Like It's just in the box inside a tray. There's, there's really no point in me uh, painting them. And that's one of the things I judge is I get a game and I go, am I going to get around to painting these miniatures? Uh, or not and if I think no then I'm just going to pop them to one side and just let them sit in a bag and that's it seventh so. continent I kept the uh, vacuum insert because the minis are so small I don't care anywhere I won't paint them <laughs> yeah. oh I missed that I don't have the uh, the minis for it yeah I mean, felt not that much needed so yeah, you, you didn't lose anything. It's just a bit more convenient, I would say, to grab a miniature on the map than a token. Sometimes uh, it's a bit more annoying to yeah. pick a token, but that's it. And since the minis are so small, it's hard to pick them from the base, so that's even less reason to paint them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, um, the Townsfolk Tussle insert's really good. Yeah. Very, but... very good. Um, but that's game trays, so that yes, was that's game trays, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. What else have we got here? Um, the Kingdom Death insert is terrible. Um, what these... is there an insert in the Kingdom Death box? There, there is an insert. <laughs> it basically holds the cards very badly and the tokens. Shh. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it wastes a bit of space. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
and Nemesis is kind of okay if you don't paint the miniatures. No, it's fine if you paint the miniatures. I've got right here, okay. this here, that's my Carnomorphs. I've painted uh, half of the very smallest ones, whatever they're called. Um, I forget hatchlings or whatever breeders. Oh. No, crawlers. Crawlers. Okay. Uh, paint half of those and the inserts like great for that. Although maybe 10 years down the line the varnish might have fused them to the insert. I don't know. But uh, yeah. personally uh, as someone who painted them, although not to an amazing standard, I'm just getting them done. Uh, I, I, I really actually quite like the inserts. Yeah, so Awaken Realms is okay, I guess. At least my experience with Nemesis is okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And see if there's anything else on this shelf which has miniatures my experience, in it. My experience with Awaken Realms is, yeah, the miniatures are okay, but Spanish is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. language. And the storage. The storage is, is okay. But please, when, when you have storage for miniatures, allow storage for sleeved cards, please. <laughs> no, yeah, sleeved cards. Yeah. <laughs> but we've already yeah. gone over that and plastic is a problem as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's 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 tough. Uh, it's tough. Oh yeah, the last ones I have is anything from fantasy flight games, as we know historically. Is forget bad. about it. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, and Zaya Legends of a Drift System had a decent insert, but I ended up replacing it because I wanted something to hold the ships better than just a pool where they were all mixed up. Because they have flight stands, and you know what flight stands are like with miniatures. Mm -hmm. They're really prone to breaking. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's uh, that's where I am with it all. Ultimately, I make a judgment call if I'm going to paint or not. And if I'm not going to paint, then they can just be in a baggie. Hmm. As long as they're soft enough that they don't get damaged. Yeah, you don't want to put <laughs> resin in the baggie. No. <laughs> no, re resin, uh, resin needs a display case. That's it. Mm. Well, we're going to go from one kind of plasticky thing that you hold and move around to a kind that you uh, hold and then roll. Um, it's time for Tom LeMann's latest offering. Uh, is going to talk to us about Dice Realms. Yeah, let's talk about Dice Realms. This is the exact right moment to talk about Dice Realms. <laughs> so, uh, as Fen said, this is the new game from Tom LeMann and is published by Rio Grande Games. It's a dice building game, so like Dice Forge, to be clear, you physically change the faces of your dice when playing. Now, uh, uh, not before I start, this game has been complete for a long time, but Rio Grande had some mechanical issues with dice and halted its distribution for a few months. So it ended up that European customers got early copies, but they had need to replace some components, US uh, customers couldn't get them in time so this won't have an impact in the final quality of the game because replacements were great i have a copy with replacements and it is the, it's the one on which i'm basing this review and so it's not interesting to discuss this except for timestamps so in this game, you rule a, a little kingdom and its assets are represented by die faces. You start with a pretty basic kingdom made of two identical dice, one black and one white for reference. You play through several rounds that are, play, are played every time almost simultaneously, where the loop is always the same, it's four faces, in which 
at first everyone roll dice plus what one a single special red die called the fate die which causes one effect which is applied to everyone that turn second you collect res resources from die faces and buy new stuff with coins which are a kind of resource you get this includes uh, buying new dice upgrades for the dice rerolls and set face tokens we will talk about them later third the core phase of the game you upgrade dice four you check if end game is met whenever during the game one pool of resources is depleted game ends and you count victory points otherwise you go on for another round the player who at the end of the game scored the most victory points wins so this is simple enough but uh, the game has an incredible depth in each phase everything revolves about upgrades you uh, in this game upgrades are both the act of uh, upgrading your dice but they are also a resource basically uh, you roll upgrades or buy upgrades as a resource and then spend them to upgrade die faces when you do that you can either upgrade or side grade a face or a combination of both when you swap a face with another more powerful face in the same tech tree you are upgrading you are going up when you swap a face with a face at the same power level but in another deck tree you are side grading okay you can combine them both you have a cost uh, depending on the uh, depth of the upgrade or if you just are side grading you are also eligible to downgrade the dice if you want it's a, a rare occurrence but uh, it could happen that you need to be at a lower level to do the side grade you want so it's it's a thing that eventually happens uh, this is the core mechanic of the game because upgrades are are worth victory points and by upgrading you can do all the all the cool stuff in the game you have five tech trees that are always present in every game and in in addition to these five at the start of the game you you randomize setup by drawing five tiles which provide five additional upgrades or, uh, or tech trees, entire tech trees, uh, which have very specific powers, reroll powers, and uh, the extra weird stuff like uh, player attacks. In this game, there is a bit of player interaction in the form of attacks mainly, uh, where you can attack uh, a face of another die on all opponents you can attack an entire die which is out of the round uh, out for out of the game for that round or you can attack resources by uh, depleting the pool of your opponent resources uh, now these five random tiles you draw mean all because they make the game replayable in all possible ways they make strategies viable or less viable in a single game and add gameplay options including the attack other than this the red fate die can be customized as startup of the game with special faces with other powers uh, i won't talk a lot about this because these are interesting but i i didn't have the chance of trying all of them together i 
I still not played with the custom red fate die faces, so won't talk about that. One consideration I have to do is uh, that I am always amazed at how good the balance uh, is for the starting version of Tom Lemon games. It, it is true that they eventually will need uh, rebalancing, but all Tom Lemon games all having all have in common that it always takes, at least me, a long time to find exploitable patterns and expansions always rebalance things again so you have to start again. This game is no exception to this. Uh, needless to say, I, I find this game amazing, stupid fun and addictive. The first time I played, I played with my group last last week four game, four games straight, then we paused a bit to play a quick turn at Townsfall Tussle, then played another three games. And, uh, well, uh, I, I think I, I uh, by, by collecting all opinions, I, I think I can give you what's great and what's less great about this. What's great about Dice Realms is that you roll dice. <laughs> uh, ch ch chucking dice is one of the pleasure of board gaming life, and you have plenty of that. We call that the brouette. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's super cool. And this game is balanced, and uh, I say that uh, I say this with uh, with uh, every with heavier heart because balancing a dice game is one of the hardest design challenges, and this game has a dozen little touches which do exactly that. Uh, for for instance, the fact that uh, the upgrades are worth point by themselves mean that. Uh, at the end of the game, if you choose the the right strategy, you still have points, even if you never rolled that exact combo you wanted. And this game is full of small adjustments like that. For instance, in one of the three-player games we played, uh, I rolled extremely good. I was super lucky. My friend, uh, one of my friends was kind of cursed. He rolled basically the non-upgraded phase on every die and uh, the other player played uh, mm, regularly let's say normal uh, at the end of the game we scored 58 57 and 56 points respectively so the game was super tight even if one of the players was incredibly uh, unlucky so uh, this game is addictive it, it gives you it gives you that vibe of uh, just one more play and that's good because the games last uh, 45 minutes let's say and if it leaves you wanting to master it it's cool because you, you love the mechanics it's fun to play and you want to play one more it's replayable i played now 40 14 games 14 games total and i have yet to see all tiles and I still haven't played with the red die faces, and this game was new every time. And that sums up the good for me. I also had a little list of the bad, which is, uh, well, you are rolling dice, and dice are frustrating. Some, play some players uh, will just hate chucking dice. So, like, like, as much as this is a good... Uh, this is also a bad of the game. So uh, there are player attacks which can be brutal. 
so uh, they can frustrate some players. That happens if you played with uh, people who uh, bogged the game down in games like Res Arcana. This is Res Arcana squared. It's a lot annoying to have two or three players keeping rolling attacks against everyone and it can slow the game down. If you are competitive, you can appreciate this. If you aren't, you are hating this feature. Uh, what about a cat attacking uh, the dice? Yeah, cat attack is the final move of every dice, uh, of every dice game, so yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, the thing with attacks is that you can skip them completely because uh, you are, you are given the option to remove all attack dice which are recognizable recognizable because they are red so it's kind of okay although beware of player attacks <laughs> the third uh, downside of this game is the price this game has a manufacturer suggested retail price of 115 dollars that's Re rio grande games pricing and it's all plastic i, I mm. have to say it's a fair pricing for the components but there's no point in denying this is a lot expensive i if was yeah i was gonna say it is expensive and i'm not surprised given that this is a bunch of lego dice basically like, yeah there's a yeah, lot yeah. of plastic yeah a lot of engineering went in that they were quick to fix the mechanical error so uh this is a, uh, 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 this proves that they are actually working a lot of the, of this on these dice, but uh, they are expensive. If you think that Dice Forge costs forty dollars, that there's a price difference. Now, I I I, I would like uh, actually to compare it to them before questions because. Uh, uh, I would like to compare this game to three games. I think they are uh, an example of how this game stands uh, in my rankings. Roll for the Galaxy is the first. Roll for the Galaxy is Woo! a great... No, Roll for the Galaxy is a great game which uh, complete, perfectly transposes the, the, the original feeling of Race for the Galaxy on a dice game. However... Roll for the Galaxy has no player interaction. You have to play dice behind, uh, behind the screen. Uh, you have to show them. It's a bit of clank. It, it makes not feel the game completely interactive. It's like you are playing solo against other people. And, and the that's action why peaking, I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this game I is play Race for the Galaxy without takeovers yeah <laughs> so, so i think of interaction in these games carry on yeah th there is more interaction in these realms and uh, the, the the let's say that the, the trust issues of rolling behind the screen that they are not there because you play simultaneously you everything is always in the face of other people of course you won't be always checking other people but if you are playing i suppose it's for fun and not because everyone wants to win and cheat their way to winning so uh, that's uh, kind of a lesser problem but that's okay Roll for the Galaxy is an exceptional game I find this more interactive so t I tend to like it and recommend it over Roll for the Galaxy Dice Forge uh, Dice Forge is the obvious competitor because it's a very good dice building game 
Now, Dicerealm, Dicerealm's sharply focuses on the economy engine. It's basically that with a, with a few twists. It goes deeper than Diceforge there, and uh, you have to consider that Diceforge is, uh, it's true that it's, uh, eight die, it's $40, but it's eight dice and 108 faces, while for comparison, Dice Realms is 18 dice and more than 650 faces. Okay, you won't play with all together in every single game because you randomize, but it's more than 650 faces. Uh, I'd say that if you just want to try dice building as a mechanic, uh, you should be better off with Dice Forge, but uh, Dice Realms is a good game. It's a full game, it's a great game with an economy engine and a, a reason to have dice building there and it works. Res Arcana is the third game I want to compare this with because I am kind of proficient in Res Arcana and to be honest this is the most comparable game of the three out here because if you look at it from a certain angle Dice Realms it's like playing the dice based counterpart of Res Arcana. Res Arcana changes the way you start because it has a draft and the way you end because Res Arcana is a, is a pure race to 10 victory points or 13 if you are playing with expansions and uh, Dice Realms, uh, you can control the tempo by just uh, trying to exhaust or preserve some resources. So these changes, I love my Res Arcana, I love my Dice Forge, so my, <laughs> my, my, my suggestion would be to get them both. However, if you just are minding your expenses, if you want the early control that Draft gives you, or you just playing eight dice, get Res Arcana instead, because Dice Realms uh, is a dice game, is an expensive dice game. Oddly enough, though, I have to say, if you are, if you just want game balance, and this is weird to say, I think that Dice Realms is more balanced than Res Arcana. Core against core, and that's it. Dice Realms in less than 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're going to switch me off playing Roll for the Galaxy. The, that, <laughs> game, that game with the expansions is so very good, and I don't think I could justify the price of, <laughs> of that. Yeah, I, I actually don't want to switch you off from playing Roll for the Galaxy because that, that is a good game. I think this is better, but this is a, a later game, so it could be they are different, because the mechanic they focus on is different. The, the, the action selection kind of bidding or Roll for the Galaxy is unique, is unique to Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy. They are smart, they are cool. Uh, we, back then, when we had just Seven Wonders and Race for the Galaxy as the big games, I always loved the Race for the Galaxy. So these are historical games, great games. I'm just going to cheekily point out that the action selection system is in Puerto Rico, San Juan, and New Frontiers. Yeah, but you don't bid for the actions like you do. Uh, roll for I'm the just Galaxy saying in cool. comparison to Roll and Race. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I'm just taking a cheap shot. You don't have yeah, to defend. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. 
I understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just here, having a bit of fun. Here, um, I'm, yeah. here I'm going to stick with Dice Forge, which has the added benefit of being uh, so well stored inside the box that I can put it on the side uh, vertically and use it uh, to block access uh, to my uh, internet uh, router to my cat. Double oh, two uses. <laughs> Okay, about that storage of uh, uh, Dice Realms is quite good. You have three trays and space for a fourth, which Tom Lehman said will come as an expansion. Uh, and the trays can be put vertically and they will stay in place. And that's cool because once I, uh, I mixed a face uh, among the trays and it was a nightmare we spent like 10 minutes searching for it because they are accounted resource so that it's important that they are correctly numbered well that's great because i'm gonna now move on to talking about the last game of this uh, podcast and this one comes in a very small box uh, and has like quite a lot stuffed inside it this is mantis falls in uh, brackets, a game of trust, uh, subtitled "Like Life," a cooperative game that's only really cooperative sometimes, or you can just call it Mantis Falls. This is a first release from Distant Rabbit Games. They're an American company. They have said they're going to specialize in semi-cooperative social deduction games. Um, this was like Kickstarter. I think it was twenty twenty. I got this uh, in summer of twenty twenty one. Kickstarter edition. Um, interestingly, before I get into the game, uh, the two people behind the design um, is Adrian Kerahard, who is a associate professor of nutrition and food studies in Montclair State University, and Julie Beerworth, who is a food scientist and acrobat and acrobatic instructor. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. Yeah. So both of them have come out of nowhere. No background in board games and gone, we're going to found a little company, we're going to specialise in these games, and this is their first release. And I wanted to highlight who they were, because they've done really well with this first game. Um, so, Mantis Falls, the concept is this. It's the 1940s-ish, and you're in the mob-ruled town of Mantis Falls. You've seen something you weren't supposed to see that could perhaps undo the mob, and you need to get out of town. So you've got a contact and that person said, hey, go here to this diner. You're going to meet with someone else who's also seen something. And the pair of you, you need to get out of town to this place together um, and we'll pick you up. So it's I wouldn't primarily... go to that dinner. I wouldn't go personally. Well, here's the great thing that they're on the level, right? They, you go there and there may well be the other witness. But here's the twist. At the start of the game, there are three roll cards. Two of them are innocent witnesses. One of them is an assassin and they get shuffled up and two of them are dealt out to the players and the last one's removed from the game without looking at it. So you could be playing the game legitimately fully co-op with another player who is entirely on the level and looking to escape. And if both of you escape, you win. Co-op win. Yay. Or the person there, 50% chance they could be an assassin if you're a witness. And then they might be looking to try and bump you off before they get to the end. And they need to survive as well to get a victory there. So, you know, they've got to kill you without dying themselves. And that in itself is just really interesting as a, a mechanic because there's not many two-player social deduction games out there. 
You've got Fog of War, kind of, a little bit. And Inhuman Conditions, which is based on the Blade Runner test that I can't remember the name of. Romeo and um, Juliet! Yeah, so that's two, and they're um, pretty interesting. But this is, like, such a strange, unusual, really complete game. So I'm going to give you a kind of quick overview of it. It's very film noir-infused. It's very. It doesn't paint the mob in a good light, either, um, in my opinion, which is great, because normally mob games glorify the gangsters. So yeah. you're, you deal out a row of, like, a winding path of cards on a really nice kind of... I don't know what the material is. It's very soft. Velour, maybe? It's a velour board, and basically this road lays out of 12 spaces. The final one's the escape, and the start one is the start of the road. And you will have a roll dealt to you which tells you how many hit points you have and gives you some kind of special ability. Uh, as an example, the Doctor has a maximum of seven wounds. Um, and when they play their last gasp action, which I'll explain briefly later on, they can play an additional wound item to heal themselves. Now, <clears throat> as you... Uh, so the flow of the game is pretty straightforward. You uh, move yourself a road section forward uh, if you want to. You might not want to. Um, sometimes it pays to stop. Uh, then you can expend conserved energy, which is a mechanic where you can put cards up at the top in a line for anyone to use. Um, then you will draw an event, and this is the bit that's really cool. Because if you draw an event, it'll either be a white-faced card or a black-faced card. White-faced cards are um, a scene incident. This means both players see the card, you put it face up, and it's like resolving in any co-op game an event where you need to try and deal with whatever happens or whatever goes on. Very simple. But the other ones are unseen events, and they're black. And when you get one, you say all you say is, we've drawn an unseen event. And you, you tell the other player kind of almost anything, really. You can tell them the truth, what the card does. Or you can lie about it. For example, I got one here, and I could say, oh, hi, so we've drawn this. Um, the enemy that we're dealing with, we're being attacked. They've got four health, so we need to deal four damage to kill them. And if we don't, then the player who's furthest back, which is you, uh, is going to take all of the wounds equal to the yellow number I'm on, which is three. So you'd have to take three wounds. Um, but if we beat them, we can move forward equal to my green number. Sounds pretty straightforward. Well, in actual truth... It's any number, this, the enemy's health is any number between one and four. I chose four. And I choose who actually takes the wounds. So while I have to operate this card fully, I've basically said, I've done all my decisions in advance and told you, hey, this card is going to operate exactly this way and you're going to get screwed over if we fail it. <laughs> That's you can even, symbolical. Yeah, and then it gets discarded face down so you don't get to see what's going on. You can even have like, um, here we are, uh, just just nothing happens on an unseen event at all. Uh, but you can convince the other player to put some cards in to try and deal wounds to a fictional opposition. The way that you play, you try and resolve it is you'll play a number of action cards and you have to match suits. And these cards will do various different things. And you build a little left-to-right programming loop that you walk through. And you'll do, like the active person will do one, then the... the other player will, and the active, then the other player, and so on, until they've operated all of their things. 
And they very, can be very simple. They can just be like a baseball bat, which deals one wound to the event opposition. Great. If you're being attacked, smack them with a baseball bat. Or uh, the one which always makes me wince a bit is called the tools. Uh, and it's a set of pliers which deals one wound to the, the event opposition. Um, there's a load of other things you can do uh, on other actions. They're very simple. And uh, you, you just like operate the whole queue out and... This is that kind of programming in a board game that I like. It's not too much. Like, Robo Rally's overwhelming for me, but I can work through these, and that's, like, pretty good. Um, there's a few other bits and pieces. You can get allies who, once you've collected enough cards of that particular ally, they'll give you a bonus. Um, and then there's sometimes, like, set things that happen on the road, like there's going to be phone booths or ambushes. Uh, the really neat thing about phone booths is everyone's dealt one card at the start of the game, which basically says, play this, deal six wounds to the other player. Or, if you're truly a witness, you can play it and deal nine wounds to the other player, which basically puts them straight on death's door immediately. So, you've both got a, a, like a loaded gun in your hand that if you're anywhere near a phone booth, you can go, hey, I need help, shoot the other person, and a sniper's called in, boom. And that player gets really done in and is at the point, well, if you're innocent, the point of death. But if you're an assassin, you know, they need to be a bit wounded before you make this move and tip your hand. <laughs> and that pushes me to last gasps, which is basically up to three times. If you're dead, you're on zero wounds. Or you're, so you're on your maximum wounds, say seven for the doctor. You can play one card from your hand. And if it's medicine and it heals you, then you're back in the game, but you increase your last gasps by one. If that happens three times, the third last gasp will always kill you. So this game is just... oh, It's like, it's like Points of Destiny. It is. It is. It's so uh, tight now and exciting. Um, it comes with a bunch of additional expansions already in the box. There's a... Uh, full circle one that like expands all the various different bits of the game there's under the rose that I've not had a chance to play with and there's a triad that adds this turns it into a three player game um, so I will say on the downside um, first of all the game's really hard I've actually to learn this the first two times we first few times we played it we played it pure co-op and still failed at times like the the, the mob is tough so it's a little easy for the assassin to win when you're um ready like when sorry when you're not experienced with the game uh so that's like a bit of a problem and i don't think it works great as a three-player game because of the mechanics there's one person is always um a bystander they're not involved in what's going on so uh, that'll rotate around but you can be in a situation where you're suddenly like i know who the assassin is and I want to take do something, and you can't. Or, or the assassin is like making a move to kill the other witness, and you're like, "Oh no, I, I I can't do anything to help here. If you can't survive, we lose." So if you're not okay with being completely passive on one of every like three turns or so, then that can be a problem. But two player, I I haven't the only two player seduction uh, seduction. <laughs> two-player social deduction game I've played that I've enjoyed as much is in human conditions and I think this is great just such a great thing from uh, two people who come out of nowhere first thing first game and it's really well realized 
it's dripping with theme. Um, the artwork is quite sparse and noir. Um, and they've done so many neat little things, like the inside of the box has a map of Mantis Falls on it. It's a really nice, like, well-drawn map. Gorgeous. Um, every card is, is illustrated, uh, but they have a very sparse, noir, almost Sin City-like look to them. I think Julie did the uh, work for this. Um, some people might feel it's a bit uh, print-and-play clip-arty, but I find that really adds to the atmosphere. And, and allows you to fill in the blanks on what the world is like and what's going on. So, hard to get, but yeah, go on. No, no, I, uh, the illustration feel like the the old newspaper advertisements for like x-ray glasses or stuff. Yes. That, that kind of, of old-timey advertisement, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, indeed. Um, if you are interested in this game, I don't know when it's going to be in full retail or if it is already. I couldn't find that information out. Uh, but you can watch a nice summary from Julie on YouTube and she goes through the entire game mechanics in quite an atmospheric way. It's a really nicely done little video. So I, that's why I haven't gone into full details on how to play because they covered it great. Uh, I'll say the other things that are fantastic. They noticed the cards were getting wear, wore, a lot of wear and tear when playing because of like you're handling them and moving them around a great deal. So they they gave sleeves in the box. Um, I have wooden tokens for all of the characters and wooden boards as well for um, tracking wounds and last gasps. And they even gave a bunch of do-it-your-own cards if you wanted to make your own little bit of custom content. There's like. But, but, that's always so fun. Cards. That's always fun. It is. It is. Um, so honestly, I've not ever seen a card game like this, or even a two two player traitor deduction style game like this. And I will say that it is. It's oh, when when you do get betrayed, it is so like such a sweet moment. You have to have to like appreciate it, and and the way that the game encourages you to lie creatively about these cards but you you have to make sure that the end result of the card is played correctly the way the card says so you're twisting the truth a, a great deal it's it's just there's nothing like it at all is there a way that uh, both the assassin and the witness die at the end Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can actually, as your last gasp, knock off the assassin. If they've been unwise and they've done things incorrectly, they can leave themselves in a point where they are vulnerable to being killed by your last go. And then they die as well and you both lose. Okay. They don't win unless they survive. So, yeah. And the game batters the heck out of you anyway. So sometimes you can just die along the way. And if the other player thinks you're the assassin and is like, I'm not going to help you, um, then tough luck. But the fun part of that is if they're like, I'm not going to help you and you turn out to be the witness, they get to the end and you're like, yeah, well, I needed to survive as well and you wouldn't trust me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy I got this game. Um even though right now I'm having a terrible time trying to pack it all away again. It's so, so stuffed full, this box. Is that it? Is that the way you fit all these? They come in these little bags, all the cards, which is unusual, but it works. But yeah, there we go. There we are. Does it fit? It fits. So yes, that's Mantis Falls. If you do see it and it sounds like something you're interested in, 
Uh, I definitely recommend it. And more importantly, next time Distant Rabbit Games are doing something on Kickstarter, which maybe will be this year, I don't know. It's been two years since their last one. Uh, definitely check it out because this was an impressive piece from a pair of first-time designers. I'm checking this Rabbit Games. It looks like uh, it's always in stock in US, like at Barnes & Noble. And uh, you have a few options at Brettspiel Prize if you go there in Europe too. That's one in Italy. <laughs> yeah, excellent. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can order it from their website as well if you're in the States. And if you can get it in Europe, fantastic. But, uh, yeah, if, if you like what I've talked about here and it's your kind of genre, because I love social deduction games. That's why I love Nemesis. It's the only game where you actually do betray people, you know, as opposed <laughs> to being told you're evil from the start. Instead, you make that decision uh, during the game. But, yeah, I love social deduction games. And this one is uh, very nice, a very nice little like package for what they got here 30 dollars msrp so well i think that is all we have time for at this point so hopefully you've also made it out of mantis falls alive like we have and thank you for listening to the last standee you can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash the last standee or follow us as the last standee on twitter or subscribe on your preferred podcast app, or perhaps even find us somewhere lurking, hiding on Board Game Geek. I'm mostly in the single player guild. Uh, so it's farewell from Alessio. Bye. Audrey. I did not made it out. Pardon? No, but I, I, I was trying that to do that. Oh, I did. I I took me a moment to process what you said. That was actually really funny, and I ruined it by being deaf. Uh, so no, uh, <laughs> and myself. Uh, and uh, remember that the second E in Standy is for well, let's just say escape. And if we said it before, tough luck. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was easy. <laughs> yeah.